0: This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Here in season three, we're featuring the steampunk series, Guardians of the Time Stream. This is a chapter from the prequel story, Odessa Fremont. Ready for fun with fantastical fiction? Then let's begin. Chapter nine. What she should do once she had the corset and took care of her money. That was the problem. How exactly was she to find Yuli's trail without running into people who knew her? Even if they weren't fusty, old-fashioned sorts. They would want to watch over her and load her down with advice and cautions for her grandparents' sake. Even for her parents' sake. S. shivered, remembering Darius say he knew her parents. He could see their faces in her face. Odd. How she was more used to being identified as Ernest and Matilda's granddaughter than Vivian and Edward's daughter. When she found her brother, people wouldn't be so interfering. Ulysses Fremont would not be the most responsible guardian, but people would step back and give them leeway, because after all, he was her elder brother. Finding Uly and gaining that freedom, however, was the problem. A newspaper headline, displayed on the counter of one of the many stations where she had to change trains, provided the answer. S. nearly laughed aloud when she realized how oblivious she had been. The headline announced another spectacular capture by the Pinkerton agency. That was the answer. She would hire a detective. As she settled into her seat on the train with a box lunch she had bought from a cart vendor outside the station, she decided that solved another of her problems. She knew a detective required a retainer against expenses. She had to arrange for a way to get updates on the search from the agency and leave money on deposit to handle all expenses. Why not leave all her money with the agency? That would save her some fussing and planning, and she could be guaranteed that no matter how long it took, she would have the funds to keep the search going for her brother. Maybe there would even be funds left over when the Pinkertons found Yulee, and they were reunited, to use in the hunt for their grandparents. Two weeks later, Detective Horace Winslow showed S. into the Philadelphia office of the Pinkerton agency. She was now a widow, named Flora Lewis, courtesy of Miss Talbot's wardrobe and makeup kit. As far as she could tell, the man didn't seem at all suspicious. S. followed Miss Talbot's maxim that a little went a long way— "'Better to have a few lines around her eyes and mouth "'and present a well-preserved façade "'rather than such heavy age make-up "'that it threatened to cake and crack "'and fall off at the worst possible time. "'Besides, this disguise was for everyday living "'and not convincing people sitting twenty rows back "'that she was an elderly woman. "'The iron-gray wig itched. "'The rolls of cloth to enlarge her hips, bosom, and bottom "'were hot and heavy.' and the borrowed black clothes smelled of camphor. But other than that, S. was delighted with the disguise. Ma'am, he said, shuffling through the pages of notes he had made after they had talked for nearly an hour. Has anyone ever pointed out what a fine, analytical mind you have? Sometimes, she affected a delicate shrug. I assume this means the information I was able to give you is useful? Useful? He chuckled and sat back in his chair, crossing his arms over his chest. His bushy brown mustache, dusted with gray, stretched in a charming way when he smiled as broadly as he did. Somebody would think you've been doing some detective work of your own. He rested his hand on the stack of pages with all the information S. had been able to recall about her grandparents' South American expedition, as well as the things Eulie had been doing, the things he had mentioned in the weeks before he disappeared. To complete the disguise, she had included information on herself— The events at the academy and the things Fanny had told her that the girls had speculated when she vanished. If she had the Pinkertons looking for the entire Fremont family, surely that would stop them from suspecting that their elderly client was one of the missing Fremonts, wouldn't it? This is a grave concern, sir. The girl needs her older brother at the very least. The two of them were deprived of their parents at an early age. They need their grandparents back, safe and sound.' Unfortunately, what news that comes north indicates many of the countries in South America are in turmoil once again, making the area even more unsafe for Mr. and Mrs. Fremont. Rebels and native tribes on the rampage have no respect for academics, no matter how well respected they are in the archaeological field. As a good friend of the family, you're right to be concerned. I sure hope those two youngsters appreciate how much you're investing in this search. His left eyebrow raised as he glanced over her once again, sitting as upright and prim as poised as she could manage when there were rolls of cushion between her bottom and the chair. You must realize, though, that eventually we're going to look a little further into your connection to the family. I hope that only happens when you've found them and reunited them and you're bored with nothing else to investigate. That earned a chuckle from him that made his shoulders shake. S. decided she could like him very much, He seemed a common-sense sort of man with a good sense of humor, who wouldn't be too scandalized to learn she planned to spend the next several years as a boy. I assume, sir, the funds I will put aside will be adequate, and the proposal for payment and making contact will be as well? Oh, certainly, certainly. We've had other clients through the years who are constantly on the move. You realize, the further out west you move, the longer it'll take to get a response to you especially if we have a report to send through the mail instead of just a telegram. I've added that to my calculations. With any luck and God's grace, the next time I contact you for a report, you will be able to arrange a meeting with at least Ulysses Fremont, if not his sister. Something tells me he's going to be the easiest one to find. Horace winked at her. S. couldn't breathe for a moment. He hadn't seen through her disguise, had he? Was he playing a game with her? "'Why is that, sir? Just from the outline of what you told me about the boy. He sounds like a rascal without much brains. Got fed up with being kept under tight reins. Decided to run off west to seek his fortune. The west is a pretty big place. Lots of wilderness. But you'd be surprised how easy it is to find someone if you know something about their character. There are only so many places that suit specific types. Besides, we have offices and agents everywhere.' Won't take more than a few weeks of telegrams, checking with the local sheriffs, asking at boarding houses to eliminate where he didn't go, and get a clearer view of where he did, if you catch my drift. We'll find his trail. South America, another shrug, that's where most of your money is going to be spent. I have more than enough, I should hope. Between the money she had taken from her grandparents' home and her own bank account, she was quite well off. No need to waste money on luxuries, however. She calculated that if she needed to raid her bank account again, or even contact Indicott, Lewis, and Macdonald for more extensive funds, enough time would have passed that she would be allowed to stay free. More than enough for, oh, I'd say six years of intensive investigation, traveling fees, boat fares, and the like. Meanwhile, the bulk of your money will be sitting in Mr. Hofstead's friendly bank across the street, earning interest to help carry you through a few more years. S. had several uneasy moments, positive her disguise would be pierced, as they went through the process of signing the contracts and finalizing the methods of communication and code words so the Pinkertons would know she, Mrs. Flora Lewis, was contacting them, and not some impostor interfering in family matters. Several times Horace had to step away from his desk, go into another room for papers to sign and check on records. "'Verify where other Pinkertons were currently assigned "'or confer with one of the other agents in the office.' "'Each time, she expected him to come back "'without his charming, lazy smile, as he demanded the truth. "'Detectives couldn't possibly take it very well "'if their clients lied to them from the beginning, after all. "'That evening, however, S. boarded a train to Pittsburgh, "'where she would debark in the early morning darkness "'and find some secure place to shed her disguise.' she would leave Mrs. Lewis's costume in a storage locker, paying a yearly fee. With any luck, the people running the lockers would be amenable to accepting shipments from her and storing them in the locker as time went on. After all, while she might collect clues and important items along her way, she would need to travel lightly and couldn't afford an increasing amount of baggage. In Pittsburgh, S. mailed a long, detailed letter of explanation to Endicott, Lewis, and MacDonald, "'thanking them for their diligence in looking after her affairs "'and apologizing to them for the number of lies she had chosen to tell them. "'She promised to keep in contact with them "'and to answer all their questions "'as soon as she had some solid proof as to her grandparents' whereabouts. "'She fell asleep, tucked into the dark corner of the second-class carriage, "'with Detective Horace Winslow's words ringing in her memory. "'If only, at her first scheduled check-in two months from now,' They had found her brother. Life would be more complicated, with needing to keep Yuli out of trouble, but much simpler and somewhat safer at the same time. Essa's next stop was Cleveland. It was a much larger city than she had anticipated, thanks to the shipping companies using the port city as their headquarters for much of the Great Lakes region. Trains also used it as a hub, and several airship companies were preparing to build skyscrapers to rival those in New York, to use as docking towers. S. gave herself a week to do some preliminary searching for Hilda, based on what she had heard the woman say about friends and connections and places she had visited in the growing city. Her efforts were futile, and she considered hiring another detective simply to track down Hilda, but several incidents frightened her away. With all the growth in the city, there was a desperate need for manual laborers in all areas. Children as young as five years old were put to work hauling water, picking up stones to help clear building sites, pulling wagons and carts to haul away debris or bring in building materials. One too many times, a foreman who called to offer work to the boy, who obviously had nothing to do but walk around town getting in the way and pestering people, got angry when she refused to come work for him. There seemed to be some competition among work crews to get laborers. She overheard some women trying to do their laundry in an alley, discussing rumors that wives and children were being threatened to make men switch their allegiance from one foreman and employer to another. S. could easily envision a lone boy, with no adults to protect him, being kidnapped and forced into labor. Twice, someone had grabbed her by the arm and tried to drag her toward a group of boys hard at work. "'insisting that her father or uncle "'had already accepted her day's wages "'and threatening to call the police "'if she didn't cooperate. "'The first time, S. shouted for the police herself "'and the man let go. "'The second time, she used a boxing trick "'her grandfather had taught her "'and put the man on his back. "'Workers gathered around laughing as she fled. "'From there, it was easy to imagine "'what would happen to her "'if her captor found out she was a girl. "'So S. fled Cleveland,' silently apologizing to Hilda, and vowed that when she found Yulie, the two of them would return and look for the cook who had been like a second mother to them. Now, however, it was time to turn her face westward and begin her own search for her brother. She made a map and a list in her head, all the places Eulie had wanted to see some day, all the things he had wanted to do. They had spent many happy hours in the attic that was their playroom and sanctuary, looking out over the fields and making plans for adventures, just the two of them together. Most definitely, she would make her brother regret having his adventures without her. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. This is your invitation to visit a place called Wildvine County. In multiple worlds, universes, and dimensions of reality, there are tales of hub worlds where many different realms can meet and intersect. Some people travel through worlds using the power of the mind and talents born into the blood, while others are chosen through vision and prophecy and step between worlds with the power of talismans. None can go to the other's worlds, except when they meet in a hub world. Wildvine County, somewhere in the United States, is that pivotal point where the travelers from multiple worlds and universes meet. Come meet the refugees from a world called Radonna as they make a place for themselves among the people of Earth and wait for the day when one of them is born with the power to find that doorway through dimensions to take them home. Begin the saga of the Radonian refugees with the book Johanna, then Historica Felon Rue, Old Solar's Shop, Apprentice Solar, and Taxera, and many more titles after that, through several generations of seekers, prophets, visionaries, and explorers. Wildvine County Fantasy Series from Michelle Levine and Writers Exchange. MLevine.com and Writers Dash Exchange.com And now back to the story. S. bought a third-class ticket from Cleveland to Toledo and switched trains from there to go to Dayton. The engine sounded strained when she walked down the platform to get into a car near the end, and S. spotted tiny geysers of steam escaping from some of the pipes, leading from the boiler to the pistons, places where there shouldn't have been any pressure release valves. Before she could step off the platform to get a closer look, The conductor called for everyone to board, or get left behind. S. scolded herself silently, for thinking anyone would welcome her curiosity. She was just a lone boy, after all, far too young to know anything about steam engines or trains in general. She listened for the laboring sound of the engine, the unsteady pace, and thought she felt extra moisture in the air from too much steam escaping. That boiler was going to run dry before they reached Dayton. When the train slowed to a stop in a stretch of train tracks with nothing but prairie, untouched by plows or towns, in every direction, S. wasn't surprised. She got up on her knees and lowered the window to stick her head out to listen to the engineers and the conductor arguing. A few men got out of the first- and second-class carriages, walked up to the front of the train, gestured and talked for a little while, then went back to their cars without doing anything. She supposed they weren't too proud to admit they didn't know anything about engines. She recalled a discussion between her grandfather and some of his more philosophical friends. Philosophical, according to her grandmother, meant they preferred to sit and discuss the world's problems rather than get up and do something about them. The topic that day had been over the ethical divide between those who knew to do right and chose to do wrong and those who knew what needed to be done to make the world a better place, had the necessary skills, and yet chose not to use those skills. There was entirely too much of a growing trend, according to her grandparents, of people saying that because a problem did not affect them directly, they were not responsible for fixing it. No concern of mine was the phrase they had heard so many times when other people walked past a bad or pitiable or simply disgusting situation and didn't stop to offer help. Her grandfather and his friends decided that those who could fix a problem, and chose not to, were worse criminals than those who chose to do evil. Botheration, she muttered, knowing exactly what her grandmother would say, if she argued that getting involved in the steam engine problems might threaten her disguise. Matilda Fremont would retort that if S.'s disguise was that fragile, then it wasn't worth maintaining in the first place. Slinging her one remaining bag over her shoulder because she didn't trust the few people sitting in the third-class carriage with her, she slipped out the door. From there, she ducked underneath the guard chains and hopped down to the ground without the aid of the folding steps. A line of train workers in a bucket brigade were manually filling the boiler when she walked up to the short line of the train to the front. "'Excuse me!' She tugged on the conductor's arm after she had stood beside him for several minutes, watching the exercise, and he neither acknowledged her presence nor told her to get back on the train. When we were at the station, I noticed some steam leaking in the... She trailed off when the man turned sharply to glare at her. Where, he barked, instead of telling her she didn't know what she was talking about. She was just a dirty boy. Most likely, he was frustrated enough to snatch at any helpful idea, while S. walked up to the side of the engine and pointed out some of the pipe joints where she had noticed the little geysers. He shouted for the men to stop filling, that it wouldn't do them any good. The engineer and another man, covered in coal dust and likely the head stoker, sauntered over to the array of pipes that fed into the piston works, while the other three men dropped their buckets and settled down on the ground. S. heard them muttering, punctuated with crude laughter. From the reddening of the conductor's ears, they were probably mocking him for listening to a passenger who was just a boy. The engineer took a massive wrench from a loop in the leg of his overalls and tested some of the places where S. had seen steam leaking out. All the pipes moved easily. His face grew redder with each joint he tested, until he raised the wrench as if he would dash it to the ground, then let spill a stream of curses. She was impressed. She recognized French, German, and Irish curses, all mixed together. Then amazingly, he let the arm holding the wrench drop to his side and grinned at her. Got a good eye, lad. Let me guess, you want to be an airship captain some day. Love tinkering with gizmos. He wiped his hand on the seat of his overalls and held it out to shake hers. Uh, well, not quite, sir. My pa, he was an inventor. I love gizmos, but I don't know what I want to do just yet. Was, the conductor said. Died of his wounds from the war a month or so back. Collectors took everything to pay his debts. She hooked her thumb over her shoulder in a westward direction. I'm hoping to catch up with my big brother. It's been a while since we heard from him. Where's the last place he's been? He was heading for Springfield last I knew. He wanted to see where Mr. Lincoln came from. That much was true. Ulysses admired President Lincoln greatly and couldn't wait until he was old enough to vote, if the great man was still running for office by then. Three assassination attempts had followed the bullet that had put him in a clockwork wheelchair— and each one left him weaker. The engineer and the stoker and the other three men got to work, tightening the pipe joints and sealing the leaks with a putty-like substance that hardened when touched by steam. The conductor, meanwhile, became talkative, regaling S. with stories about Springfield. As the hometown of President Lincoln, it was a focal point of the Union as it rebuilt. There was talk of making it an even more important hub for commerce and travel and culture than Chicago or New York, or San Francisco all put together. Her brother might still be in Springfield, with so much work to do, so much growth taking place. That's the last of it. The engineer stepped back, wiping his greasy hands on the sides of his overalls. Wish we had that newfangled telegraph that you can hook up to any line. Portable? S liked the sound of that. Not every train has them yet, the conductor said, nodding. I know what you're thinking, Harry. I want McPherson's head as much as you do. This is exactly the sort of thing the big bosses were afraid of when they sacked him. Today was the last day for the man at the Toledo station on a day shift, the engineer explained, as he bent to pick up tools and the bucket of sealing putty. His job is to check all the seals on the steam pipes, make sure nuts and bolts and such haven't worked loose on all the connections. He was sacked, given two weeks' notice, for being drunk on the job one time too often." Yep, the conductor said, stretching the word out into a sigh. That's just the sort of nasty trick McPherson would pull. Don't care who he hurts, just as long as he can hurt someone. He turned back to S and winked. Thank the good Lord for your shy eye, lad. Wouldn't have done us a look of good to put all the water from our reserves in the boiler if the steam just kept leaking out again. Don't suppose you want to ride up front with us, the stoker said, stepping over to join them. He held out a bottle of something that dripped condensation that all the other men had been drinking from. Go on, it's just ginger beer. You earned it, boy. S. thanked him with a nod. Her thirst and the marvel of having something cold overrode her hesitation over drinking from a bottle five other people had already put to their mouths. There was likely a foot of insulation around the cold box to keep ice from melting into thin air, sitting so close to the firebox and the boiler. The ginger beer was strong and bubbly and a delightful treat, washing away the dust in her mouth. "'Not that we think you'll have to fix anything else, but an extra pair of eyes would be a help,' the engineer said, nodding. "'Maybe keep you with us as a good luck charm. What do you say?' S wasn't sure what exactly a boy would say, offered the treat of riding with the engineer, even if the engine was dirty and hot and noisy as she expected. Too much excitement or words that were too polite would ruin her disguise.' She just grinned and nodded hard. That must have been right, because the conductor and engineer both laughed and clapped her on the back. She was gritty and gray with coal dust and sweaty and windblown and ended up tucking her cap in her trouser's pocket because it kept blowing off. Thank goodness she had chosen to cut her hair short. All in all, despite the filth and noise, she thoroughly enjoyed the ride in the engine. Any conversation had to be conducted in shouts, so her throat hurt by the time the train pulled into the Dayton station. The engineer and Stoker were both talkative, eager to educate her on their beloved engine and trains in general. S. found it quite informative. The Stoker showed her to a washroom where she could take a basin bath and change her shirt. S. hesitated, dreading the difficulty of trying to wash, which she needed desperately, while men were in the room. Fortunately, The kindly man just shoved the door open and told her to come to the ticket window area when she was done, that he doubted any of them would be back for a while, and the clerk behind the window would take care of her. "'It's going to take some time to figure out the words for the telegram, and we have to write up a blasted report on what happened. That McPherson is probably long gone, but that doesn't mean we can't send a sheriff and some company men on his trail for what he did,' he added. "'At least he didn't try to make the boiler blow.' Mess with the pressure gauge so it didn't read true, she offered. Aye, there's that. You've got a two-hour layover until your next train leaves, so we should be done and back to look after you before then. You don't need to, she said, cringing as she felt her face warm. Now was not a good time to blush. I'm used to taking care of myself. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.